everyone to our Global Decolonization Initiative podcast. I'm Tanya Rodriguez, you're a host, and I'm here with my mom, who's a civil rights activist, actively dismantling the systems of oppression in the public and private sectors of America for about 30 years now. Hi, Mom. Thank you for being here. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Aww. <laughs> we will be discussing a few topics today. First, we have the Global Uprising Report, and then we'll be talking about the pros and cons of civility. And, of course, we'll be bringing you the GDI Cocotazo of the Week and the GDI Shoutout of the Week. So stay tuned, because it's about to get real. Global Uprising Report. Chile has been uprising since the 14th of October 2019. Ongoing civil protests throughout Chile in response to a raise in the Santiago Metro subway fare, the increased cost of living, privatization, and inequality prevalent in the country. Lebanon has been uprising since the 17th of October. It started off as a protest against raising taxes and has now evolved into a full-on demand to end sectarian rule in Lebanon. Some of the key demands of protesters based on chants made during demonstrations, uh, according to the Issam Fairs Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut, include an end to government corruption, an end to the sectarian political system, the recovery of stolen funds, and holding the corrupt accountable, also fair tax and financial procedures. Iran has been uprising since the 15th of October 2019. As of December 16th, they're in full-scale protests across the country, with rural areas rising up in greater numbers due to an increase in fuel prices, but including an outcry against the government in Iran and Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, leading to mass cover-ups of protester casualties and a complete internet shutdown across the country. Iraq has been uprising since the 1st of October 2019 to present, starting on the 1st of October, which was a date set by civil activists on social media, spreading over the central and southern provinces of Iraq to protest 16 years of corruption, unemployment, and inefficient public services before they escalated into calls to overthrow the administration and to stop Iranian intervention in Iraq. Haiti, which has been uprising since the 7th of July 2018 in response to increased fuel prices. Over time, these protests evolved into demands for the resignation of the president of Haiti, Jovenel Moise. Bolivia started uprising the 21st of October 2019 and continued after uh, President Evo Morales resigned which was 11th November 2019 and continues on to the present day. The protests to protest the government corruption of Evo Morales staying in his presidency and was met by a coup of the right-wing religious fundamentalists to take over the government backed by the U.S. security forces. The protesters are uprising in greater numbers to bring back Evo Morales as president of Bolivia. Hong Kong, which has been uprising since the 15th of March 2019 and has been in, an, in a large-scale breakout since the 9th of June 2019 till present day. The protests originated against plans to allow extradition of prisoners to mainland China. Hong Kongers said that the extradition risked exposing them to unfair trials and violent treatment, giving China greater influence over Hong Kong and can be used to target activists and journalists. 
France's Yellow Vest Movement are national protests which spiraled from grievances over rising fuel prices into a broader anti-government demonstration. Those uprisings have been happening since the 17th of November 2018 and still continue to present day. India began uprising on December 15th against the new immigration laws called the Citizenship Amendment Act, which applies a religious test to uh, determine whether illegal migrants from neighboring countries can be fast-tracked for Indian citizenship. The government has said the test was intended to root out undocumented immigrants from Bangladesh. India's Home Minister Amrit Shah has repeatedly referred to these migrants as termites, quote unquote. There are reportedly detention centers being built in India for the purpose of detaining Muslims that do not pass the citizenship test. Colombia has been uprising since November 21, 2019, in support of the Colombian peace process and against the government of Ivan Duque Marquez. Serbia has been uprising since the 30th of November to present day, sparked by a rise of nationalism and political scandal that have rocked the country. In Belgrade, the crowds have regularly numbered over 10,000, making them the largest in two decades. Protests have taken place on every consecutive Saturday since the initial rally. The Sardines movement in Italy began as a flash mob in November 2019 and has evolved into an organized and ongoing series of peaceful demonstrations to protest against the right-wing nationalist surge in the country and more specifically against the political rhetoric of right-wing leader Matteo Salvini. The name Sardines came from the idea of organizing their rallies with high numbers of participants packed together like sardines in a shoal. The movement declares itself not linked to any party and to mainly pursue the ideals of anti-fascism and the fight against racial discrimination, as well as the rejection of right-wing populism and verbal violence in Italian politics, which they claim should be legally considered as physical violence. In Algeria, the Hirak movement, beginning the 16th of February 2019 and continuing to present day, is opposition to President Bouteflika's fifth-term regime and corruption. One of the goals of the protests is to have a democratic transition for the government of Algeria. Catalonia has been uprising since the 14th of October 2019 and ongoing to present day. The Spanish influence striking down the Catalan independence movement resulting in the sentencing of nine Catalan independence leaders by the Spanish Supreme Court. That is the end of our global uprising report. If you know of any uprisings in your country not listed here, please send us a personal message and we will make sure the world knows what's happening in your country. Wow, that's a a lot of uprisings. It looks like the the people around the world are really being bullied, corrupt governments, right-wing organizations running the government. Uh, people are fed up with racism and discrimination and how the patriarchy has taken over so insidiously in uh, public service and where people are to be public servants they um, abuse their power as we have just seen with the impeachment of uh, 45 in America Um, which essentially brings us to our topic today uh, the pros and cons of civility So as an online 
activist and also an activist in my sphere of influence, one of the things that that has been coming up, and it truly is uh, both sides have extreme views on this topic. And while we have uh, people that are amazing activists like Ali Henney saying that um, she's really tired of this idea of having a civil discussion uh, that has arisen out of the perception that we live in divided times. These are her words. Um, well, she well she says, that, well, I think it's great that people want everyone to sit around and talk to one another like we did in the olden days before social media. The truth is that I find it really frustrating that people who are fighting oppression are treated the same as those doing the oppressing. People act as if people simply have opposing opinions about how to reach the same goals. That's not what we're dealing with within a lot of corners of society. Instead, we're dealing with people who think that they are superior to others because of their race, socioeconomic status, ability, orientation, religion, gender, identity, and expression, body size, region, etc. It's a whole, uh, it's a different ball of wax. It's not mature discussion, civil discourse, reason discussion, or whatever you want to call it, when people from historically privileged groups are fighting for their right to be able to marginalize people. There's no way to engage in a good faith discussion with someone who fundamentally does not see you as a full person who is entitled to rights and dignity. So if you're hearing both sides and attempts at getting others to mend fences or engage in civil discourse means putting me in a situation where I have to prove to my oppressors that my oppression is real, it is not a good faith discussion. And then we have uh, Mona El-Tahawi, which is just amazing. She talks about civility when it comes to oppression. She says it was totally that moment. Uh, this is from a Vice article uh, that she was interviewed in. Amazing Vice article. The the excerpts from Ali's a post of hers on Facebook. It was totally. This is from uh, Mona. Uh, it was totally that moment because when you're surrounded by riot police and they break both your arms, sexually assault you, and their supervising officer threatens you with gang rape, you're like. Fuck all of you. What is there to be polite about? When you take that and you see what patriarchy does, then you recognize that civility only upholds the power of those in authority. And along with patriarchy comes, of course, all the systems of oppression that keep patriarchy in place. So that would be white supremacy, capitalism, homophobia, ableism, Islamophobia, all kinds of bigotry. And I refuse to allow those who don't recognize my full humanity to expect politeness of me. So I'm like, fuck you and fuck your civility. I will not be civil to those who do not recognize my full humanity. That's where I say that was such a before and after moment and made everything so clear. And so one of the one of the 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 main narratives of against civility politics is how am I going to be civil with somebody that doesn't even recognize me as being human? as having any worth or uh, no matter how many PhDs I have, I'm still going to be three-fifths of a person to this person who um, I'm expected to be civil to. Uh, so with that, how are we to have civil discourse when there's such an imbalance in perspective and perception and how does civility politics work when the people that we're 
BIPOC are expected to be civil too, have no interest in being civil to us. Well, it's interesting how a lack of civility really helped propel the civil rights movement in the early 60s, right? If it wasn't for the four black college students in Greenboro, North Carolina, that walked into that Woolworths department and sat down at the counter that said whites only, you know, that was the beginning, you know, the beginning of what is called civil disobedience, which is interpreted as uncivil behavior. And and it's kind of a code word, really, civility, right? Mm. Civility in society is be nice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, interact and, and communicate in a manner that is of civil nature, a tone, right? But when you're talking about it from a civil rights perspective, you know, being what today is really known more as not activist, but disruptor, mm-hmm. a disruptor for change and moving forward, civility is uh, different today, right? Uh, you don't see the protests in this country the way you did in the early part of the 60s that prompted or was really the catalyst to the signing of the Civil Rights Act in 64. Hmm. Since then, I don't know, maybe we got a little complacent with that uh, or there were affirmative action programs that came in and were supposed to work and that didn't work. There were diversity programs that said we're going to do diversity. Those are not working. And and so it's kind of interesting to say, can you have a debate and still be civil? And I think, yeah, I think you can be civil. You have to stay focused, though. So having a debate with somebody, so then is it really worth it to try to get into it with people that are racist AF? I mean, like, how does that even work when we're having this civil discourse? We're having the, the, the politics of politeness. People wanting to reach out across the lines of inherited communication with racism, inherited behaviors. How does one be civil when it's a battle to keep my keep me oppressed? So if somebody is telling me uh, about a stereotype of my people and I tell that person, oh, that's bullshit, that's, you know, that that's totally, you know, made up Disney stuff about my culture, right? And then the person begins to tell me how important stereotypes are so that we know who people are. And then we begin to debate about it, right? And my blood starts to get upset. They start to get upset. And we're no longer <laughs> communicating in constructive ways. Now we're starting to tear each other down. Oftentimes it's seen as um, people going at each other on Facebook, people going at each other in public places, there's almost like this battle of wills happening based on maintaining the narrative of oppression of people. Whereas civility, I heard something that you, that, that you mentioned earlier with civility in regards to tone and being mindful. I could see how in a business meeting right mm-hmm. that you're you're the head of diversity for a major corporation 
and you sit down in a business meeting and you're with the CEO and you're with this person and you're with that person, how civility is a major important factor in communicating in a business-like way, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And in that business-like way, can is when when does civility become ineffective? How what is the line that gets crossed where we can look at a conversation and go, you know what, it's not really worth it for me to be civil anymore. I understand where Mona's coming from. She's getting all of these men, you know, on her and, um, you know, people yelling racial slurs to people. When when does civility become ineffective and also weaponized? You know, oh, I if somebody tries to teach a woman, you know, if a woman of color is trying to teach a white woman how to do something and the woman of color is being, you know, getting frustrated because maybe the white woman isn't getting it the way that she's teaching it. And so then the white woman starts to cry because now she feels that the woman of color is bullying her. And so she's using that civility as a weapon. So when does it move away from um, the politics of politeness where tone policing can be weaponized, where civility can be weaponized uh, to a place where we can just look at people and and say, hey, shut the fuck up. You're being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And and have have somebody go, oh, my God, was I being an asshole? I'm so sorry. Like when if we're dancing around civility all the time, is that really being able to hold people accountable and then is that is that also, you know, in a way, tone policing people of color so that that civility can be weaponized and used against them? I know that that's a lot. I know. I, I think that part of it is that you set the ground rules for communication up front. Hey, we're about to have a really difficult conversation. And there's going to be a lot of things said, things said. But this is a conversation so that we can evolve and get a better understanding of what the cultural challenges are that we're both facing right now. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to engage in that conversation? I mean, if you set it up and you have a commitment up front that they're going to meet you there, I think that's one way to approach it. I think in the workplace, you're right, it is different, right? Neighbor to neighbor, you know, kind of the same thing. You know, there's that societal definition of civil behavior, right? But I'll tell you, what I'm noticing is that even outside of the discussion of civil rights or race, the people are a little less civil to each other these days. And incivility can move into some aggressive and ugly places, right? I mean, take a look at New York right now. 63 attacks on the Jewish community in one month. Wow. Wow. That's some kind of hate there. And so incivility could lead to to violence. Now, during the early days of the civil rights movement, when there was civil disobedience by African Americans and to fight for their rights and and to desegregate, there was violence, not on the part of the the people of color, but from the authorities, mm. because there was that Southern expectation of what's proper and not proper. Mm. You know, stay in your place. Mm. Would you say that there's a... Um a difference or a fine line or a massive difference between uh, civil disobedience and civility. And I know, literally speaking, is civility as as defined, it's 
you know, formal politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech, right? And civil disobedience, somebody can be have civility within their civil disobedience, but the civil disobedience in itself is not based in civility. Well, I would separate them by saying in general, right? Civility to me is an interaction between two people. Civil disobedience is usually a group, a group hmm. of people, hmm. you know, with a common cause. Mm-hmm. And then they act that way. That doesn't mean that an individual can't be, you know, civilly disobedient, break the law or, or things like that. But in this, the context of this conversation, I see it more as a group versus individual. Mm-hmm. And how does one be civil or be called to civility with things like Charlottesville so fresh in our minds mm-hmm. and the um, waving of Confederate flags, the racist memorabilia that is on the rise that people are proudly uh, wearing and uh, exhibiting almost like a identifier these days how does one be expected to be civil when those symbols of hate are so flagrantly used to visually abuse and intimidate without even saying a word? Well, you know, again, you know, if we move this conversation, then we're going to go into the freedom of expression, right? The protections under the freedom of expression. And I can tell you that my time in the private sector, if an employee came in wearing a Confederate T-shirt and I found out about it, they'd be off the job. They'd be sent home. Go home and change. Period. Don't come back and you're not getting paid because you should have known better than to wear that. So they go, well, you know, that's a violation of my civil rights. No, it's not. You're on private property. Don't work that way. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing in the public sector, right, where you have these uh, state capitals in the South, like Mississippi, that still uh, flies the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 troubling when you think that you have politicians that the people in Mississippi put into office mm-hmm. who don't seem to hear the message that is hateful propaganda. Right. Like what... Um what Ali Haney says, you know, getting back to her post is, so if you're hearing both sides and attempts at getting others to mend fences or engage in civil discourse means putting me in a situation where I have to prove to oppressors that my oppression is real, it is not a good faith discussion. If my oppressors get to dictate the terms of my existence, it is not a good faith discussion. If I must negotiate on what terms I get to exist, it is not a good faith discussion. If I am denied the right to self-determination and to tell my own story, it is not a good faith discussion. It is not a good faith discussion when oppressors get to justify oppression and marginalized folks have to argue for fundamental elements of existence. How does civility play in to not having the opportunity or being given the grace to tell one's own story because the oppressors are the ones The oppressors are the ones that are controlling the narrative, right? Like like a very wise woman that I walk with, her name Sharon Smith, 
she says there's uh, three uh, white supremacists control the narrative, the resources, and the processes. So when the narrative and the process is based in the oppression and marginalized people, how is civility constructive to dismantle those those systems of oppression? But I think that was my point earlier. It isn't. Mm. You need to be to have uh, civil disobedience to create change. And mm. everybody just seems to be so complacent, really. I don't see the type of protests that we saw during the 60s anymore. Um, the baby boomers were going to change the world, and they didn't, hmm. right? And now they're suffering with poor social security uh funding and things like that. And so I just don't see that right now. People are not going to the polls to vote. They need to get out. You, if you want to make a change, you got to change you. Right. Not, not woe is me, you don't understand me. I could give a shit whether you understand me or not. If my rights are, are being violated, then yes, you're going to hear from me and it may not be civil. And that's your problem if you can't deal with it, not mm. mine. Mm. So it is important to not be civil. It is important to step outside of the idea that civility politics is a is a way to navigate this massive growth spurt and in our humanity that we're experiencing right now. Um, somebody's, I was reading something, or I heard something that said that we're going to experience a thousand years of growth in the next, I think, 20 or 50 years. And that's that's a lot of growth in the next under 100 years. And our humanity is growing with it. It's almost like we're we're releasing these these binds of you know having to act proper, having to you know being allowed or inviting almost like the inviting the opportunity to be silenced and then being okay with being silenced because that's just how things are. That's not how things are anymore. People are speaking up and speaking out across the board. The internet has given voice to BIPOC, voices that were silenced in rooms and now can go on the internet, speak their truth without fear of being arrested or killed. And that's completely changed the face of of how our um, humanity is, is shifting out of that imbalance of oppression and uh, marginalized. Well, you know, if the content on the Internet is done by one particular group, right, which are young white men, mm. mostly— we have to have more people of color interested enough in the Internet to begin creating content. Right. Because everything you read on the Internet was not written by somebody of color. Right. Article on civil rights written by the New York Times. Take a look at his picture. Not a person of color. Right. You know, take a look at advertisements, how they target people. Um, and so it's really important for us to encourage y youth today to really begin to take on that mantle of being web developers mm. rather than consumers. Let's mm -hmm. get some balance in that so that you can have a different perspective because it's not going to be the same. Right. People on, on, on Facebook don't you know, speak truth and don't get arrested and go to jail, but get put into Facebook jail for, you know, a few days or a month, three months, I've seen, for posts that aren't 
really offensive to anyone. And it's almost like the algorithms themselves are uh, written in a biased code, if that could even be possible. I don't know. I think algorithms are kind of random, but I don't know. it's how they set it up that, that probably matters more than anything else. I think, you know, Facebook, interestingly, you know, has a lot of problems, right? We saw that, you know, with the last election and everything that's been going on in the media. Uh, trolls, GDI has been invaded by trolls. Not well, not invaded because we moderate the group really, really, really well. And but you rooted they, some out. Oh well, yeah, we do tend to root trolls out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you and and you and the administrators do a really good job uh, of monitoring you. that. And and so I'm going to make a little side announcement here. Mm-hmm. If any of you out there have had friends that you've recommended the group to, and they came on and requested to get into the group but did not fill out those questions, they're not getting in. Hmm. GDI has very strong gatekeepers, and that's one of the ways that we keep trolls out. Mm-hmm. So if they don't fill out that question and it's only 304, um, then they're not going to be uh, accepted into the group. So that's just kind of like a PSA announcement for GDI. Oh, thank you, Mom. Thank you. Well, so we've brought in some short and sweet views on civility and uh, by all means, if if anybody listening is in a situation where you're fighting whether to be civil or not and uh, you can be safe not being civil – then go ahead and raise fucking hell. <laughs> and if you have friends with you, get them to raise hell with you because <laughs> there is power in numbers for sure. And no one, no one has the right to um, justify oppression from marginalized people. No one has the right to deny anyone to tell their story. No one has the right to negotiate terms of anyone's existence. Ali Henney is is an amazing activist. Please find her on Twitter, find her on Facebook, and follow her. She's a, um, a really amazing activist bringing wisdom um, and thank you to uh, Jennifer Mazuko for posting the Mona Eltawe's uh, article in Vice that is about civility because this is a big, huge issue. Lots of activists are pushing back against the idea that we need to be civil in the face of our oppressors. Yeah, I'll give you an example of how that might look, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a school, and I think uh, you told me about this, Mm -hmm. where there was a child wearing Confederate flag clothing. Right. And there are African-American children in the school Mm -hmm. uh, were wearing uh, gang bandanas or something like that. And that the school banned the gang bandanas, so-called, right? Because the, they're just kids. And there was no real gang affiliation. It was just a piece of clothing of expression. Mm-hmm. And they banned the clothing articles of the African-American children, but did not for the uh, Confederate flag T-shirts. Correct. And in the debate and discussion over that, when they, when the the people defending the uh, African-American children uh, said to be in a classroom and have to have to be exposed to this Confederate flag is painful and disruptive and interferes with the child's learning. And the response to that came back, well, what about the rights of the kids to be able to express themselves wearing the Confederate flag? Mm -hmm. See, That, to me, is where this comes in, because the discussion should not be to defend it, 
but to focus the conversation and not get distracted by somebody saying, well, what about the rights, their rights? No, we were having a conversation about the emotional damage that's being done where a child can is, is being kept from being able to learn. Hmm. Let's talk about that. Right. If one child is being harmed, that should trump everything. Mm. Nobody gets to wear anything, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever they come up with, find a solution to work through that, uh, which to me is don't wear it, right? No Confederate right. T-shirt, no gang-affiliated uh, uh, clothing. Mm. But that's a way, right, where incivility, then somebody could be accused of being uncivil because they refuse to buy into that other narrative. What about the rights of freedom of expression for the kids with the Confederate flag? See, they don't want to talk about the person of color, the child right. of color. Right. They want to talk about protecting the rights over there. And right. that is sidetracking the conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, yes, that's a perfect, to me, that's an example of where being uncivil, you can do it, but you don't need to do it in a way where it's aggressive or fighting. You simply say, let's refocus this conversation and have one at a time. And right now, the conversation on the table is the effects of this on children of color. You want to talk about that? We could talk about that on another day. Mm. But today, mm. this is where we're going to stay. And pulling that power back to you mm -hmm. and not from, you know, what has been happening in this country for 200 years, mm -hmm. that's where the power is of being uncivil, right? Not going along to get along. Right. Which is what has hurt the movement a lot over, year, over the years. Oh, wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's how civility has been weaponized. Right. And that's where the pushback is. And there should be pushback. That is awesome. Well, so, thank you. You know, pushback, if pushback is being interpreted as being uncivil, mm -hmm. pff, I'm fucking uncivil every day. <laughs> that you are, Mom. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for that teaching. That's really solid to bring in in a corporate situation or in a school or in some things to refocus the conversation and to take it back. We got the power. Yeah. We don't have to give it up. Mm. Just hold that's holding accountable and staying focused on the issue and not allowing yourself to get sidetracked, mm -hmm. you know, by these other conversations because that's what they're trying to do another strategy is triangulation go look at that so you're not looking at me right mm -hmm. Ugh. Just, some people are really really good at that yeah wow amazing wow do you have any more wisdom on this that you would like to share <laughs> <laughs> it's a big it's a big issue. It's a big issue and it's, it is it's so multi-layered. Yeah. It's multi-layered and to try to you know address all of the different levels of this discussion in a short amount of time on a podcast does not really do it justice, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're right. There is incivility at work. We could talk a whole hour just on that. Mm -hmm. Right? Why is that happening? Right. Why is the workplace being so uncivil today? Right. More than ever before. Mm. There's real reasons behind that. You know, how do you leverage civility with civil rights? Mm. You know, and do it in an effective manner so that you're not looked on as, you know, some crazy person or, or disgruntled or something like that. That's where you stay focused, right? Mm. You know, uh, city council meetings, committee meetings, you know, where people try to silence your, vo your voice. I have sat in a council meeting as the commissioner of the sheriff's department and said, I need a timeout. I don't mm. believe my voice is being heard. It's making me uncomfortable. Mm. And I'm troubled that you don't see it. I Ooh. need a timeout. 
Mm-hmm. I need for us to regroup and refocus this conversation in a way that's going to make sense to me and you. Mm. Are you okay with that? Can we move forward from here? It rattles them. <laughs> this is the last thing they expected. Especially these good old boy sheriffs. <laughs> what was that? What was that thing that that you said that the sheriff told you? The thing that keeps him awake at night is a twenty-one-year-old oh, with When a I gun. first joined the commission, I had asked the sheriff, "What keeps you up at night?" Just to try to get a gauge on. on and he looked at me and just kind of took a deep breath and said, "A twenty-one-year-old with a gun. That's oh, what keeps me up at night. Gun and a badge." Mm-hmm. <sighs> so many topics. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And if you have any questions or comments or anything, please. Or ideas for future shows. Or ideas for future shows, please post on GDI. We'd love to Um, hear from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are our... You are our lifeblood, and uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we look forward to your feedback. All right, that brings us to the shout-out of the week. The shout-out of the week goes to the GDI admins and mods. Yay! We started this group in September 2018, inspired by the famous decolonizing bhakti yoga group. Uh, was in this amazing thread after decolonizing bhakti yoga uh, archived the group due to some pretty nasty trolling that came up that completely infiltrated the group and the group archived for a while to be able to get back on its feet and uh, clear out uh, the cobweb so to say Uh, prana uh, brianna viera jennifer mazuko uh, Shivani Hawkins, uh, it, amazing. Your, yeah, your admins are amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. Satish, Satish actually, Satish Sharma has actually named the group uh, Global Decolonization. So we appreciate you and uh, all the people that post. Thank you very, very, very much uh, for helping us maintain a, a brave space in GDI so that people can come and heal and learn the tools of anti-racism work and, and share their stories and the language of oppression and share their, and share your stories. So thank you. Thank you, GDI mods and admins for being badasses. I'm really grateful. So who's the asshole of the week? The cocotazo of the week. <laughs> Goes to people that weaponize the language of social justice. Fuck those motherfuckers. They can suck it. (laughs) Whatever it is, they can suck it. Because that has been coming up a lot lately where people will go to uh, an anti-racism training filled to the brim with their own bias, learn the language of social justice, or at least introduce themselves into the language of social justice, and then suddenly become walking woke heads, regurgitating information that they themselves have not implemented in their lives. So um, the cocotazo of the week goes to people that weaponize the social, the language of social justice and use it against people of color, the people of color, they say. And then they charge you money for it. Oh, damn. That would be Insulting. another podcast. <laughs> and we do have that one lined up. We did a podcast topic list, and that is one of the podcast topics that we'll be bringing in is... Why don't these anti-racist, uh, anti-racism training, anti-racist, I, I'm definitely 
anti-racist. The anti-racism trainings don't work because people don't address those systemic issues. Diversity training doesn't work. Yeah, diversity training doesn't work. So we'll be discussing that. And an article just came up about that. I believe it is posted in GDI. Our donate two is to the Lakota Unki Kangaleska resource page. Um, the This resource page, you can find it on Facebook. It's an amazing one-woman show. And since the early aughts, she has collected uh, names and account numbers of elders in uh, Pine Ridge and in different reservations areas in uh, North, uh, South Dakota and is doing the work to make sure that the elders that don't have the money to they don't have the money to pay their electric bills what she does is she'll get your inform you know you call her you uh, she'll give you the account number and the uh, number to the electric company and then you call and uh, donate directly to somebody's account. And these are elders, they're grandmothers, they're taking care of grandchildren, they're on fixed income if they're on any income. And these are grandmothers that are bringing wisdom and uh, teachings and holding the traditions set, uh, to be passed on. And because the world the way the world is the way that it is, the people that we need to take care of the most are falling through the cracks. I've been and to Pine Ridge. It's very poor. So she's been doing this for quite some time. And um, her name is Wilma Thin Elk. You can reach her at the Lakota Unki UNCI Kangleska C-A-N. G-L-E-S-K-A resource page on Facebook. They don't have PayPal. It's not a GoFundMe. It's not a crowdsourcing anything. The woman receives no money. All she does is connect you with an, uh, an account number with an electric company to pay off an elder's electric bill this very cold winter. So thank you very much for listening today. Thank and you. I hope you learned something. And like we said earlier, if you have any comments or feedback, please let us know. Private message us or post on, on the podcast post, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>